Thank you for joining me for our Ash Wednesday worship service. We're going to follow the order of service that's in our bulletin. We'll open with hymn number 104, Go to Dark Gethsemane. The theme of our Lenten series this year is His Final Steps, thinking of Jesus' way to the cross, way to work out our salvation. We'll sing hymn number 104, Go to Dark Gethsemane. from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Jesus says to his people, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. His death paid for the guilt of your sins and the sins of the whole world. Do you believe this? Yes, I believe. By the promise of Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a dear child of God and an heir of eternal life. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. For Ash Wednesday, we read the appointed readings for this day. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 59, verses 12 to 20, a reading in which we're reminded of our need to repent and, uh, and also the need for a Savior that's promised to us by our God. Yes, our rebellious deeds are many before you and our sins testify against us. Our rebellious deeds are with us and as for our guilty deeds, we are aware of them. Those deeds are rebellion and treachery against the Lord. We turn back from following our God. We incite oppression and apostasy. We conceive and mutter deceitful words from our hearts. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth stumbles in the city square and honesty cannot enter it. The truth is missing, and anyone who turns from evil makes himself pray. The Lord looked and saw something evil. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one who could intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness supported him. He clothed himself with righteousness like armor and wore a helmet of salvation on his head. He dressed in garments for vengeance, and he wrapped himself with zeal like a cloak. He will repay in full what they have earned, namely, wrath to his foes and full payment to his enemies. He will repay even the distant coastlands. From the west they will fear the Lord's name, and from the rising of the sun they will fear his glory. For he will come like a raging river, driven by the Spirit of the Lord. Then a Redeemer will come for Zion, 
and for those in Jacob who turn from rebellion. This is the declaration of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in the 20th verse, going to chapter 6, verse 2, where Paul talks about Jesus as our reconciler who makes things right between us and our God. We urge you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, at a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. Look, now is the favorable time. See, now is the day of salvation. And our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. This is Jesus' very familiar parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus told this parable to certain people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on others. Two men went up to the temple courts to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. However, the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went home justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And let's sing our next hymn. That's hymn number 114, Christ the Life of All the Living. We're singing verses 1 to 4 and 6 and 7. sin forever. 
Now, following in the footsteps of our Savior, there have been plenty of times over the years that I've fielded the question, Pastor, would you like to know the place, the time, and the circumstances in which you were to die? And a quick response to that would be absolutely not. Absolutely not. And well, when you say something like that, the question then is, well, why not, Pastor? And the reason why I'd say absolutely not is because I don't know that my faith is strong enough to, to deal with that kind of information. Oh, say for instance, that if I were to know that I was going to live a good, long, healthy life, live to be 104 years old, and then that I'd experience a sudden heart attack and, and die on a Thursday at 2.45 p.m. in the afternoon. If I were to know that, how would I deal with that? Would I become overly complacent in my Christianity? Would I decide instead to go fishing 24-7? Forget about worshiping Skip worshiping, skip time in prayer, and just determine for myself, well, if it's going to be then that I die, well, then a week before that, that's when I'll concentrate on getting closer to my Savior. See the danger in that? Or if I knew that I'd die of cancer, and after a long time of treatment and struggling and wasting away, that then I'd end up dying. If I knew that, would I fall into a fit of depression and never be able to get out of that? You see, knowing the place and the time and the circumstances of our death, I don't know if my faith would be strong enough to deal with that. And I doubt very much that yours would be able to deal with it either. I don't know if our faith would be strong enough, but now you think about our Savior. You think about our Savior, and, and in our Lenten series this year, we're looking at his final steps as he headed to the cross. But now as our Savior was headed to the cross, he knew the circumstances and that makes everything that he did so much more astounding when you think about it. He knew what lay ahead for him as he was taking his final steps. He knew the plots against him. He knew his enemies. He knew of his betrayal. He knew of his denial. He knew of Satan's attacks. He knew of all of that. And yet, he took those final steps. He took those final steps all the way up until the point where finally he said, it is finished. And through the lens of his divinity, what Jesus could do is he could see that the path that he was going to have to take, it was a horrific path. Everything that he would end up having to go through, the, the pain and the agony, 
the absolute suffering that he would endure paying for the sins of the world. Uh, suffering greater than any human being had ever experienced. Yet Jesus took those final steps. Why? Because of his selfless love for you and for me. That's what pushed him on. That's what urged him on every step of the way. Well, tonight we're in our Ash Wednesday service, beginning the pilgrimage of our Savior's passion, heading toward the, the cross, his final steps. And, and God's word is going to light the way as we take those final steps with our Savior. And tonight we're studying really the event that we could say was the catalyst for the Savior's final steps. The catalyst, that great event that kind of pushed things on, that's the death and the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That miracle, what we could do is what it did is we could say it set the stage for God's plan to be completed at the precise time that it was supposed to take place, in the exact place that the Lord had prophesied, and in the exact manner in which it was supposed to happen, the way the Lord planned it. So tonight, we look at Jesus and we see his final steps led to a tomb. His final steps led to a tomb, a tomb emptied for us and for our faith, and a tomb emptied for God's plan to be finished and completed. Jesus, he knew exactly what he was getting into as he was going to Bethany. Bethany, the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. That village, it was about two miles away from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, well, that was the headquarters for the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. And now just remember what Jesus' enemies were doing for basically about three years is they were scrutinizing every aspect of Jesus' ministry, of everything that he said and did. And they were looking for something that they could use to discredit him or to somehow or other be able to accuse them of, uh, accuse Jesus of blasphemy so that they could have him executed, so that they could get rid of him. Well, they scrutinized his words, his actions, but they never could find anything. There was no misstep. There was no word of Jesus that they could use against him. And then, then his enemies, they became desperate and they were going to try to use force to, to get him. But right before our reading, it talks about how Jesus eluded their grasp. He withdrew back from them to, across the Jordan River to some place remote and out of the reach of his enemies. But now we're at the point where Jesus set time with the cross. It was at hand. 
So when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, well, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus knew what he had to do. The Apostle John writes, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not going to result in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And then interesting what happened is that Jesus waited. And that had to puzzle the disciples that they waited for two days before they did anything. Well, the Apostle John shares this insight. He says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the place where he was two more days. Then afterward, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But now why wait the two days? Well, John says, so that the Son of God may be glorified. So Jesus could tell the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up so that the disciples could hear that and then respond, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. And so Jesus could patiently explain to them, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus waited those two days because he knew what those two grieving sisters needed to be, needed to have happen in their lives. Here they were, they were surrounded by people who were mourning the loss of Lazarus. And for Martha, just think about how that had to break Jesus' heart when he finally got there to see Martha and Martha's words to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Jesus knew that Martha needed to hear Jesus say to her these words, your brother will rise again. And when Martha heard those words, she knew that Jesus was talking primarily about judgment day. Then those were some wonderful words that she'd get to hear. Those are wonderful words, oh, whenever we think about it, when we stand in, in a cemetery and, and a Christian brother or sister has passed away, and we're there seeing the casket of our loved one and oh, the casket's placed into the grave and the pastor says those words, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, earth to earth. For such moments, what we need to do is we need to hear our Savior say those words that he said to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Ah, yes, Lord, we believe that. We believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And, well, we can believe that because as we see Jesus taking his final steps here, 
As we see Jesus taking his final steps here, as, as Martha then goes off to find her sister, to bring her to Jesus, well, then the second sister, we can remember what she did. She broke Jesus' heart as well as she spoke similar words to her sister. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus hears her and all the others who are there who are weeping and mourning at the loss of, of Lazarus. And though he was, as it says, deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, Jesus knew what he had to do. He had to take his next steps to that tomb, to where Lazarus' body had been placed, to a cave that had had a stone rolled against it. And, well, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha objected to that, and we really can understand the objection. She said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor because it has been four days. Had, had we been there with Martha, knowing the circumstances, we would have objected too. The Jews, they didn't embalm their dead so that there could be a viewing days later. They didn't do that. Lazarus' body was already decaying and probably smelling terribly. So the scene inside that tomb could have been, well, nightmarish, something that would have awakened you forever, the odor, the smell. Yet it wasn't nightmarish for the one who is the resurrection and the life. Not for the Savior, who now guaranteed, he said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? John continues, so they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out with his feet and his hands bound with strips of linen and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus told him, told them, loose him and let him go. Jesus took his final steps to that tomb, a tomb that needed to be emptied for the sake of Mary and Martha. He did this for their sake, those two grieving sisters who, who miraculously got their brother back in this life. Well, he also did, took those steps to the tomb for the sake of Lazarus, who just think about this, how he was able to look at things from then on in and say, wow, God really does make all things work together for our good, our eternal good. And Jesus took those steps to that tomb for the sake of his apostles, the disciples, the men who were to be eyewitnesses, well, beginning in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, earth with the wonderful gospel message. And Jesus took those steps to that tomb 
for our sake and for our faith as well. We need Jesus' words there. I am the resurrection and the life. We need to hear Jesus say those words, Lazarus, come out. We need to see through the eyes of faith this man come out who had been dead, smelling for four days like that. And now see, here is that wonderful proof for us that nothing is impossible for our God. Here is proof that the Apostle Paul's shout of triumph is forever true when he said, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is our comfort when we would mourn uh, the loss of a loved one who has just passed away. And a loved one who's a believing child of God, of course. And here is our hope and confidence when we would struggle, for example, with our own mortality, with our own deaths. And here is that reminder for us that what is death? For the believer, it's but asleep, but asleep. And Jesus will gently wake us on Judgment Day. He has the power to do it. He did it for Lazarus. He can raise us on the last day. How comforting it is for, well, then back then, for us also to see that Jesus' final steps led to a tomb, a tomb that was emptied for us and for our faith. Moments ago, I mentioned that, that Jesus' enemies were doing everything they could to try to find something against Jesus, something that they could use against him to discredit him or to figure out a way that they could have him executed and, and get rid of him. And well, then what happened is that this event took place. This situation with regard to Lazarus and his death and his being raised back from the dead. And arguably we could say that this was Jesus' greatest miracle other than his own Easter resurrection itself. Lazarus was dead four days in the grave. And yet Jesus raised him. And now that's, from our viewpoint, impossible, but not for the Lord. The Jews who, have, who had witnessed this, who knew that Lazarus had actually died and knew that his body had been placed in the grave like that for four days, well, they would have been even more shocked and amazed and surprised than we would have been. And why is that? Well, some circumstances according to Jewish custom, according to Jewish thinking that's recorded in the Talmud. And now that's not the scripture, that's human writings of their own. But according to the Talmud, what the Jews believed, they were convinced that the soul 
hovers around a person's body for three days after a person's death. For three days, a person's soul is lost and confused, hoping, waiting, praying to be reunited with the body in this life. Now, that's not a scriptural thing, but that's a tradition of the Jews. But that lost and confused soul was only there for three days. And after that, then finally the soul would be taken to be with the Lord and a resurrection could no longer take place anymore. And now that's why Jesus waited the extra two days before going to Bethany because, well, he made sure that those four days had passed so that those Jewish leaders and their tradition and their mixed up belief like that would have gotten them to say, oh boy, this is big, this is huge. And, and if he really rose, raised someone from the dead after four days, we have some big problem here that we need to deal with. The raising of Lazarus after the four days like that became the catalyst that caused the last stage of God's plan of grace to be set into motion. John informs us, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They asked, what are we going to do? Because this man is doing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who, had, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not even consider that it is better for us that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this of his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not only for that nation, but also in order to gather into one the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus' final steps led to a tomb, Lazarus's tomb, a tomb that needed to be emptied. Lazarus's tomb needed to be emptied so that the, the hatred of Jesus' enemies would boil over so that they would be led to make this diabolical plot to get Jesus to have him crucified, to do everything that they possibly could to get rid of him. They'd have that illegal trial at night. They'd crucify him on Calvary's center cross. And all this would happen on the Passover, the time that God had set from eternity for the Lamb to die for you and for me and to pay for our sins. I don't know when I'm going to die, how I'm going to die, or where I'm going to die, but Jesus does know. 
and he knows your time as well. He knows that. And that's why he took his final steps that we're looking at this evening so that our sins could be washed away, paid for by his blood. And we wouldn't have to be afraid to die so that Oh, the words that Jesus spoke at the beginning of his ministry would ring forever true. You know, Jesus said, Amen, amen, I tell you. Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He is not going to come to, into judgment, but has crossed over from death to life. Amen, amen, I tell you. A time is coming and is now it, and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who listen will live. Jesus' final steps, they led to a tomb, to Lazarus' tomb, which needed to be emptied so we know Jesus' power over death. And it needed also to be emptied as the catalyst that sent Jesus to the cross to suffer and die and pay for all of our sins so that one day, what do we know is going to happen? What we know is going to happen is that our tombs will be empty too when Jesus comes and takes us home to heaven. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we'll confess our faith with the meaning to the second article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. All this he did that I should be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness, just as he has risen from death and lives and rules eternally, this is most certainly true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to direct and rule us according to your will, to comfort us in all afflictions, to defend us from all error and to lead us into all truth. We pray through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And we gather up all of the prayers we have as we join in praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Thank you for joining me for our first Wednesday Lenten service, our Ash Wednesday service. Hope to see you again for a few more Wednesdays coming up, leading up to Holy Week and our Easter celebration. It's about seven weeks away. Again, thank you for joining me for worship tonight. The Lord bless and keep you always.